1: And welcome to episode 81 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors. PC Law from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Get your free 30-day
2: trial at PCLaw.com slash radio. And Clio, online practice management for attorneys at GoClio.com. In our last podcast, we talked
1: about mobile web design and a, and a bit about the mobile-first web design philosophy. In this episode, we discussed the growing interest in some of the real-world implications of moving so much of
2: our lives into the digital world. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we are going to talk about the idea of digital estate planning and how you might go about making sure your digital assets are protected. Uh, in our second segment, we will do another version of our revisit Segment and uh, revisit the topic of our last episode, Mobile Web Design. And we'll finish up with our parting shots that one tip, website, or observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. But first, uh, let's get started with our opening segment, and that is digital estate planning. There have been a lot of articles lately on the subject. If I, I went on Google and I just typed it in and found a lot of things in the past just one or two months on the subject of digital estate planning, I think with good reason. Uh, you know, As we all find ourselves moving increasingly online, uh, there's a lot of stuff out there that needs uh, to be taken care of if – you know, don't want to talk about sensitive subjects, but if we ever died or we ever become incapacitated and and can no longer go online, we seem to see stories. I seem to see stories every week about a family member who cannot get into a bank account or some online service because they didn't have access to the right passwords or the right account information. I I personally have several friends on Facebook who have died and their pages are still up on Facebook. And I get reminders about their birthdays. Dennis, it seems like a, pretty big issue. Why are we hearing so much about it recently, do you think?
1: Well, I, I think it's a growing thing, and, and not to pat myself on the back too much, a couple of years ago I wrote a, a long article about some of some of these issues, and I think they were just coming in into play then, but I think that – that now you, you see that so much of our lives are digital from, you know, online bill paying to online bank accounts and everything's sort of moving us paperless. So we have all these accounts online. You know, The as you mentioned, Facebook, we have all these other online entities. I mean, some people say that that most people regularly use 20 or more passwords on accounts, uh, you know, so there's there's a lot out there. I know for me, I, I've given it a lot of thought recently, Tom, as you know, with it was my uh health experience with the blood clot and I know I kind of startled you one day by suggesting that I, I wanted to have you be my the the executive of my digital estate to help my wife out to kind of sort out my you know digital properties and my you know what I laughingly refer to as my internet empire so i I think there's <laughs> a lot going on now but but I think that um, there is a huge amount of interest and like you say it's starting to touch on people it's it's an eerie thing as you mentioned time that you're on Facebook and you see See a recommended friend, and it's you know it's someone who's died, and th- that their family has just left their account up, and it's it can be a little bit eerie. So I think you see a lot out there, and there's a financial aspect. I think the estate planning legal community has has started to take interest in it because they're on the front lines of this, uh, and they're starting to deal with these issues. And uh, you know, a couple of things recently, I I, I think are uh, have been really good, and and I want to point out. In in particular, our friend Sharon Nelson, who wrote an article where she actually, in addition to discussing this, uh, published on her Ride the Lightning blog the actual language she put into her will to deal with some of the the digital issues. And I think that's a really useful um, educational tool and a way for people to to start th- Thinking about it, so I, I think that's in a way it's a perfect storm. But I, I think, it, as we said in the lead-in time, it's sort of like you know the the digital world is sort of
2: colliding with the the real world in a lot of different ways. You know, I, I really like the um, the language that Sharon includes in her article. We'll make sure that that's posted to the show notes, and it's something that I'm going to pay a lot of attention to because I don't currently have that kind of language in my will, and uh, I, I think it's I think it's tremendously important. You know, based on some of the things that you you just mentioned, if I were to go on a rant today uh, in this podcast, one of the things you said is that that uh, most people regularly use twenty or more passwords, and I I went and looked. I I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before. I use LastPass to manage all my passwords, and the idea is that uh, that with LastPass you can have a different password for every site you go to, which obviously is the best practice, having a different password at every site you have. And I went and looked, and I have. 384 different passwords or at least sites with different passwords I think I have maybe 11 duplicates um, out of those 384 and 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 it, it makes me angry that people are only using 20 or more passwords I think that from a digital asset standpoint though that certainly makes it a lot easier to to manage but um, on my end uh, managing 384 passwords if I happen to to go away won't be difficult because with using a service like LastPass, I only need to be able to give them one password, and that's the password to get into my account, and they will immediately have access to every password I have for every website they need. So being able to give access to people uh, uh, to those types of things, I think, is tremendously important, and I think we're going to talk about some ways to do that a little bit later. I I was uh, reading an article that we'll post in the show notes uh, called Postmortem Life Online, and one of the things she mentioned was an estimate on how many people die per year on Facebook. And her, her, she, she cited a, a study that estimated that last year, 408,000 people died. Uh, I, I went to another website where they did some some rough math that said that if the, the, the usual stat is that uh, if you assume that there are about eight deaths per every thousand people each year, and then you assume that there are more than 900 million people on Facebook, then if you extrapolate that, granted, this is a rough extra- approximation, but you've got more than seven people dying on Facebook each year. Now, frankly, I don't think that's really accurate because most of the people on Facebook are going to skew a lot younger, and so we probably won't have that happen, but but just think about it. With 900 million people, you're going to have a lot. You have to assume that a lot of people are going to die over the course of the year, and so what I, what I think is very interesting is that Companies like Facebook, like Twitter, like LinkedIn actually have uh, have have ways to take care of things if there is a person with a profile who has become deceased. You know, Facebook has a notification page where you can report a deceased person's profile. I thought it was interesting that it's it's under penalty of perjury, so you actually have to swear that, that this person is deceased. I imagine that it could result in a lot of problems if you do that, um, and it's not true. Once that account is, is memorialized, Facebook is going to take down certain content. Their contact information, status updates, you know, only confirmed friends are Going to be able to see that page, and it's it is left open so that friends can leave memorials or remembrances or things like that. I think that's a smart idea, and a way that that some of these services are working to uh, to, to to help protect digital assets. Twitter has a, as a service that you can uh, uh, notify people of a deceased user. LinkedIn also has a, a feature that you can let people know if there's a, a deceased person. But I think, frankly, if you if you happen to be thinking about any service, just go to Google and talk Type in deceased person and whatever the name of the service is, and you may be taken to a link that shows you how to report it in that event, which I think if you're going to be sort of an executor, a digital executor, is something that, uh, that you'd want to know, that you'd want to be able to, to know how to deactivate those accounts and make sure that people uh, to, uh, break those down uh, once, uh, once people are, uh, are deceased. Dennis, any ideas that you thought of uh, to, you know, what to keep up and what to keep down, those, those types of things?
1: Well, I, I think uh, there are a number of rules of thumb that, that I think we'll get into, but I, you know, I earlier in my career I did estate planning legal work, and so it's to me, as I said, it's really interesting how the digital world has hit the real world, and um, you know, in my own experience, I remember going because I had a, I was under anesthesia for a, for a small procedure, and you know, I needed to bring in my healthcare power of attorney, and. Uh, it, and I realized that, you know, my wife didn't really have the passwords and I left a note and, but I basically told her she needed to get in touch with Tom to, to, you know, to help her out. But not everybody has, has a Tom. And, and so you, so you realize that there is this sort of big area that's uncovered. And then so, sort of, like I said, digital versus real world, there's sort of two issues you think about. So a lot of people say, well, what happens if I die? But it's, it's really more likely you're going to become incapacitated in, in some way. And so there, there, there are those two issues. And you, and you start to say, well, does, do the traditional tools work? And, and you see there's some pretty significant gaps. So in a durable power of attorney, they expire when the person dies. Um, and with a, if you say, well, there's an executor of, of my estate that could handle it. You know, it takes a while to get, you know, f- at least a few days to get them appointed. Um, if you say, well, I have a living trust, and th- then the trustee could do it. Well, the trustee has powers over what's in the trust, and most people aren't going to be putting their Facebook account and all these other stuff into a trust. So, sort of those traditional uh, approaches break down. And, and I think there's some important categories to think about, Tom, as you say, when you, you think of what you want to keep up, what you want to take down, but sort of what you want to do. And so, for the me that the one that I really worry about is that gap right there, which is the the, the thing you want to do immediately and when you want to notify people. So I think especially with Facebook, many of people's best friends are their internet friends these days. And, you know, in the traditional uh, world, you know, the funeral could happen before a lot of people know, but especially if you don't have access to email, to Facebook accounts, those sorts of things. And, You know, the power is somebody under a power of attorney. Uh, you won't have authority, you won't have an executor who's been appointed, the trustee won't have power over it. And, and so I worry a bit about what it is that, uh, you know, you can do right away. And, and so that's the one area I think that, uh, we really need to start to, to, to think through. Then, then, as you say, Tom, there's a sort of notion of what do I keep up and what do I, I take down? And, and it's, you know, you need to have those conversations to say, well, who, you know, here's what I think I want or here's who would understand that. That's why I say, I mean, you know, I want to figure out what happens to my internet empire. And because and, there can be some value. I mean, Tom, you and I are both uh, approaching 10 years of blogging. There's a lot of stuff and we have a lot of presence on the internet, a lot of articles. And and it, you need to kind of think through those things. You know, Necessarily, or probably even at all, want to have somebody just pull the plug on that and stop paying, you know, your, your web host and, and to start taking down accounts. Um, I think the Facebook legacy pages, as you discussed, are really important. And then I think, uh, time to turn it back to you, I, I think there's this whole notion of, of digital property. Like I said, we have blogs, you have pictures, you have video, um, iTunes, music, ebooks, all those sorts of things that, it, in a, in a way nobody
2: really knows exactly how to handle those things when somebody dies and 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 unfortunately i'm not sure that we're going to be able to give a lot of advice on that during this podcast but 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 you, you bring up a good point, which is all the different types of digital assets that people have. And I think we've mentioned a lot of them, but let's break it down into, into distinct categories. First, you got your personal assets. You just mentioned it your photos, your videos. If you use Flickr, if you use YouTube, um, your email, uh, if you're using Gmail or some other web service, uh, medical records or tax documents. You know, I started using Microsoft Health Vault a number of years ago because it's a good centralized place to store the medical records that I have. I don't keep any medical records. Records and paper here at home that I get from the doctor's office, I scan them all into Health Vault. That's a whole set of medical records that's sitting out there. Um, th- th- those are your personal assets. We, we talked about your social media assets, your Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook accounts, uh, your financial assets. The story that Sharon Nelson mentions in her article talks about uh, a, a spouse not being able to get into her, um, her husband's uh, bank account because he did all of his banking online. He had gone paperless. So there was no way for her to do it. Other other than online, but for lawyers and law firms, uh, we're talking primarily about your personal stuff. Let's also talk about your business assets. Uh, you know, are you using a cloud service not only to store documents but to up- store other things? You may be using something like Dropbox or or the new Google Drive, but it. It could be that you're you're contracting with some sort of vendor to uh, to provide invoicing services or you may contract with with somebody else and they've got copies of all your documents. So what happens from a from a wrapping up your business standpoint to all of those records as well? And I think that as as Dennis, as you pointed out, I think that. It takes a lot of preparation on your end up front to make sure that people are going to do the right thing. And I think that it really, you know, I'm going to start right now by giving sort of my recommendations for what for what people ought to do. And I think it begins with an inventory make an inventory of all of your digital assets that we mentioned break them down into personal social media financial business assets and determine what do you have out there and then as you get to see that language that Sharon puts on her blog post what are your instructions for each one of those some of them will be easy some of them will be a little bit more complicated for people to have to deal with but but I think that the inventory is really the the, the best place to start and then and then if you're if you're alive obviously a power of attorney if not then than a will or some other language. I've noted, some of the articles out there have have noted that there is legislation out there in a couple of states, uh, but only five states as of 2011, that provide access to online accounts. Now, some of these are a little bit older. Um, they dealt mostly with email and only a couple of recent ones have dealt more with social media accounts and things like that. But it, it, it's, I think what's important is that you can't rely on the legislature to protect you in this case, which means you've got to get some sort of document in writing that gives the people who are there after you the, the ability to go and take care of these things. Dennis, uh, before we wrap up, what are some of your suggestions for, uh, for taking care of this?
1: Well, I think the inventory thing is is really huge um, huge issue so you really understand what's out there and all those issues i mean the fact is you know it's lawyers for the most part we are very personalized we 're avoiders so unfortunately this is going to bring up some conversations that you really need to have with with spouses and and others right. uh, about how to handle these things and, and what you really want there's sort of you know in my experience in the estate planning world we all sort of have this notion that we're kind of going to know when we die and that uh you know we'll spend the last dollar and you know we'll be able to plan all these things but the, that never really happens so it's it's kind of you need to realize like what how big of a mess do you really have at the moment and what can you do about it and then realize how shifting this world is because you probably are changing passwords on a regular basis. You know, you're acquiring more and more digital information. You have more and more online accounts. And so it's a moving target. So it's not the case where you can say, oh, I'll just put something in my will about all these accounts because it's going to be out of date really quickly. And so there are some concepts in estate planning that, you know, you can dispose of tangible personal property by a list. And so you you can see how I could see estate planning lawyers leveraging that note. Motion. I could see limited durable power of attorneys where you give somebody a power of attorney, but only over your digital assets. And that may make sense, you know, where you have the spouse or the typical people are just not tech savvy. Um, but I think the big concern is, you know, what are the main things you need to, uh, to uh, you know, that list of accounts, the list of passwords and, and kind of keep that up to date. But it's such a moving target. And that's why I think, Tom, you know, to go back to your original question, I think that's why we're hearing so much now. Is it's a huge issue. Um, there are terms of use. You need to understand what is going to happen, you know, like what's going to happen with your email account and all these things. And the the uh, provider may have terms of use that that specify what will happen, and it may be completely different than than what you want. The other thing I worry a lot about, and I think about my brother in law, who's a professional photographer, and you know, Tom, you and me, people who are writers with blogs and stuff, is. Um, you want to make sure that people understand there's potentially a lot of value after you die in, in what you've created. And so you want to have somebody who can understand, uh, you know, what's important to keep around, what's important to collect. Maybe there's stuff that's publishable. I mean, we're not going to be Elvis and, you know, our estates figure out how to turn our, you know, our blogs into Graceland and make zillions of dollars. But there's, you know, you want people to understand that. And we're just clearly at the beginning on all these issues. And so um, that's where I come out, of Time I think there are some practical things, but it's like there's some hard conversations. You're going to look for some creative lawyers. And this is an area – I think the estate planning lawyer community has always been great on technology. But anytime I hear lawyers say that they don't want or need to keep up with technology, I was, I'm starting to feel more and more it's irresponsible because how can you advise clients – um, to deal with the digital their digital properties, if you have your head in the sands about your own use of technology
2: well and I, I think that the lesson to take away here is that when it comes to uh, sort of the digital estate um, you can't do it alone you need help you need somebody to help you with it unless uh, unless you've got all of the tools that you just mentioned which i think is is a rarity in most people uh, one thing I will mention and that I didn't mention before is is that there are services out there if you don't want to do it yourself or if you don't want to go talk to lawyers about it there are services out there who purport to be able to take care of your digital assets for you one is called secure safe um, it um, they have a, a da- data inheritance protection program program where for every data item that you store you can designate a beneficiary and and the site will will help coordinate a secure transfer of that data asset uh, once you die uh, they just bought a company called entrust it that had a, com- a a service called account i think it was called account annihilation which i think is a little morbid for a service like this but what what it did was it uh, it took care of De- des- deleting all of your social media accounts, any accounts that you might have online. And, and I think it relies on you putting together that type of inventory. Another service is called Legacy Locker. They, you can store your passwords there. You can designate those digital beneficiaries who will get those passwords upon proper verification of your death. So there are a couple of services out there that, that might be able to help, might be worth a look. But as Dennis said, very important to, uh, to get the right help and, and to have the right conversations sooner rather than later. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from our sponsors, Clio and PC Law by LexisNexis. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing? I think the
1: most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software, and they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. So I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the, the excitement is they're now able to realize the the potential of IT without all of the headaches.
2: We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack.
1: Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com.
0: That's g-o-c-l-i-o.com. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to pclaw.com slash radio, that's pclaw.com slash radio, or call us at 800 685 2161 today. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781 551 9960, or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too.
2: And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report.
1: I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, we revisit our topic from the last episode, mobile web design. Tom, last time we talked about how the growing importance of having a website that people can view and use effectively on a a smartphone or iPad has... uh, has really become something to think about for people now admittedly some might see this as an esoteric topic for for uh, legal technology, the whole idea of web design, but I think it 's going to become a very important issue um,
2: in the very near future. Follow up thoughts on the last episode Well, I will take an esoteric topic and bring it down to a real world example, which was this past week in fact, it was just a couple of days ago um, that, that really confirms what we talked about. I needed to get a new some new um, replacement ink cartridges for my printer. So I was going to go to Staples to get them, uh, before I left for the store. Um, I checked online on my desktop and what was nice was that Staples has got this great little tool that, uh, tells you it asks which model of printer you have and then it will actually tell you the exact printer cartridge that you need so I don't have to go to the the manufacturer page to find out what printer cartridge that I need Um, so when I got to the store though I'd completely forgotten what that was so I looked it up on my mobile phone and I was a little bit panicked my first reaction was there was no way a mobile site's going to have that same functionality as the desktop site but you know I was pleasantly surprised it had nearly the exact same Features. They were a little bit different, but I was easily able. To find that ink cartridge that I needed. So I think that was a very satisfying mobile experience for me. And I think it backs up what we said in our last podcast, that if you offer a site that only offers reduced content, you're going to disappoint your visitors. You're going to disappoint the people who come there. I would say that the same is true for law firms. Frankly, I would think it's much easier for a law firm to, to offer full content. Law firm sites are nowhere near as complicated as a business site like Staples or even sites with more complex content management like news and, and other information sites.
1: Yeah, and I I think that's a great example, Tom. And I I think when you you think about law firm sites, you say, you know, the sort of older style with the sort of splash screens and video and all these things going on. Lots of columns just aren't going to translate well on the mobile on the mobile phone. So if you take a look, I think it does two things. You say, if I at least try the mobile phone experience with my own website, then I'll know what people are seeing, and that will give me some ideas about what I need to. To do. Um, and so there may be some, you know, you may be okay. You may realize you have a real problem, but I think it also will say, hey, this is where, uh, you know, and, and I think the stat we had last week was like almost half of Facebook users using their mobile phone to access Facebook and, you know, Facebook itself saying that we th- think we would have been a mobile app or mobile product if we started right now rather than sort of a web destination. Um, I think that you can say, well, in that world, is what we're doing, does that still make sense to have that level of complexity, that level of structure? Can we simplify and then, you know, step back and say, what is it that people really want? And if people are looking at it, you know, um in the airport – on the fly, in a coffee shop, whatever, what are the things we would like them to see right away? And I think you can get a, a simpler and probably more effective design by um, taking that whole notion of uh, mobile first in your, in, in the design approach and some of the other design philosophies around there. It's worth you know taking a look at them at a high level i think for for lawyers to get an idea of of what the thinking is and then to decide well can you start to apply some of those principles to what you're doing now especially if you're planning to do an update anyway now it's time for our parting shots that one tip website or observation you can use the second the podcast ends tom take it away
2: you know for my parting shot this uh this week i i want to to point you to a an a an article on the opinion pages of the New York Times a couple of weeks ago. It's called Talking With Your Fingers. And it's uh, by a guy named John McWhorter, who is a, uh, a, uh, a professor. He teaches linguistics, American Studies, and Western Civilization at Columbia University. And he makes, I think, what is a very interesting point, that uh, that that emails and text messages, we're, we're used to, you know, we bemoan the fact that we get text messages with outrageous spelling. And, and that's led to tweets that people really do too much shorthand and and we talk about the death of the english language and and we, we 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 worry about the way things are said and and he actually wants to celebrate that he's he he takes the position that email and texting are not actually writing at all but there's something altogether new they're written conversation they're the way people would talk if they were sitting in front of you and they have many of the same features of conversation through the years so it's a good read uh, i'll put a link to it in the show notes
1: and I have uh, Vivian Manning writes a blog called Small City Law Firm Tech Blog, and she's done a series, currently has 12 parts, and it's called Troubles and Solutions Start Here. And it's about Microsoft Word and about the the options choices in Word. And I don't do a lot of uh, 60 tips in 60 minutes presentations anymore, but if I did, this would be a big one for me. And I recently had uh, Word reinstalled, and I realized how many of those options Settings I check, and in a fresh installation, I really have to make a lot of changes. But what you find here is that there are a lot of things that you you think are problems in Word that it's just a matter of checking or unchecking a box. And you can set you know to back you know back up every couple of minutes. You can change those things. You can change settings. Some of the auto corrects that bother you, you can change those. A lot of things in there, and and I think that the Vivian's series of articles is great because it walks you through all those screens and you can see all the choices that you have and and you're undoubtedly going to find a few things that will make your experience with Word so much better.
2: So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, uh, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. Uh, To take advantage of all the great Legal Talk Network podcasts, make sure that you download their new Android app available in the Android App Store or uh, a link via the Legal Talk Network Work site. I am hoping and praying for an iPad, an iPhone app to be released soon. If you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tkmreport.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the
1: Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. As you plan your digital estate, make sure your plans include subscribing to this podcast on
0: iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.